The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to episode 44 of the Makers of Minnesota. I have uh, the privilege today of talking to Jeff Warner. He is, is it Warner or Werner? Yeah, Warner. A Warner. That's what I thought. But then as I said it, I know another Jeff Warner from St. Paul. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I said that wrong, who you probably know too from Warner Stellion. In any case, we've been playing Old Home Week. We're both from St. Paul, and Jeff is with Alchemy Architects, and he doesn't realize this, but I drive by his place. They're in this building that's very cool off of Raymond called like the Prairie Lakes Building, and uh, in the parking lot for a, a while this winter was a kind of weird box-looking contraption. That I was kept thinking, what is that? What is that? So I looked you up, and here you are today as a guest of the podcast. Welcome. Cool. Well, it's a good excuse to find out that you were stalking us. I kind of was. So what I saw in your parking lot at Alchemy was something that's called the Light Hotel. It's it's like a movable, wee-looking hotel room. And then I toured it um, also last summer, and I thought, okay, this is the coolest thing ever. And I'm sort of obsessed with wee houses and trying to live smaller. I'm not doing it, but I'm obsessed with the idea that I could. And so I came across a light hotel, and then I came across what you guys were doing with wee houses, and here you are. Yeah, awesome. So um, you started out as an architect. What got you excited about sort of the wee house or the smaller living ideas? You know, when you start out with an architect, uh, when I went to school in the, well, it's in the 80s. I was going to say the dinosaur <laughs> exactly, ages. Exactly, <but laughs> that's right, pre-computer <laughs> age. You know, it was all about the modern architects and, and the sort of the... Uh, ideal of the architect doing everything and being a real star and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I worked for a really great office for a few years in school and after school, and I realized I didn't know really how to put stuff together. That wasn't their fault. That was my fault. And so I quit and I started doing small projects on my own with my own hands, really learning uh, more about a lot of different materials and how to put things together. And, you know, if you're going to start out and be a stubborn young person like I was and like a lot of my friends were, you uh, you take small jobs, you take whatever you can. And so a lot of those jobs that we started out with were small. And, um, you know, I lived in a bungalow and we renovated the hell out of that bungalow and yep. put, you know, 10 pounds of food, let's say, in that five pound bag, yep. you know, <laughs> and that's and so we've been in one way or another kind of dealing with that. That kind of ethos of smaller is not necessarily worse, you know. Did you make things for your house, like tables that were compatible to do multiple things and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, you know, bungalows are awesome. You know, they yeah. don't re- they're not, I mean, they're maybe small by today's standards. We lived in a, in a, uh, 
you know, 800,000 uh, square foot bungalow, depending on pre versus, versus post renovation. Yeah. Um, but they're, you know, they're great houses and you really didn't need to really have a table that folds out into a bed and also into a table or a desk. Yep. You could, you had enough space yeah. as long as you were efficient about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and not to digress about tables and the dining room, but as an architect, I think it's interesting that sort of we went to these big great rooms because everybody wanted to be together and everybody sort of congregates in the kitchen. So you had these sort of kitchen living room arrangements, which has given way to the loss of the formal dining room. Has that been your experience as an architect? I think that's just kind of an interesting trend. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, bungalows are incredible, but they also have that formal, you know, the yep. kitchen's off in one corner. It's typically got like Four doors going into the kitchen. Yep. You know, so the first thing people ask is, how do I get rid of all my doors in my kitchen so I can actually have a counter, for example? And then, you know, removing that wall between the kitchen and dining and just really um, opening up the whole house really makes the house actually seem bigger in a lot of different ways and more functional, more flexible. And, you know, obviously that's really the way we kind of live and think about living and eating and inhabiting our houses today. When you were an architect student, were you was the we house or the mini house movement a thing? No. So where do you remember when you first heard about it? It's a thing. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> you know, uh, our work really grew out as, as I said, the bungalow, and so I've never really thought it about it as sort of a conscious thing that we would do really, really small houses. And that changed a little bit when we um, had a project for a client in um, uh, Pepin, Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. Stephanie Arado was our um, one of our first clients, and she really wanted a retreat in Pepin. She spent all of her money on her land. She had yep. fifty thousand dollars left to build a structure that, even in you know about two thousand and one, wasn't a lot of money. So we said, "Hey, we can build you like a pole barn, like a big space with nothing inside it." Or we can build you a little jewel box with really not anything, you know, not not like water or electricity, but we can make it really nice. And she chose the latter. And because it was a little jewel box, we sort of figured, hey, maybe we can make this off-site. And since, as I said, you know, some of my background was in making things with my hands, basically uh, three of us made that, you know, our intent was to make it in our, our, our workshop and, you know, ship it over to the site. And that was really my first experience with kind of um, off-site building um, and even thinking about that kind of thing, really. And uh, the the whole kind of current fascination with people in tiny houses and, you know, programs on tiny houses and all this kind of stuff is, um, is I think, sort of a coincidence. But it really grows out of a lot of the things that we've been seeing in terms of um, the, re- you know, just more sustainable attitudes, more... Um, more of a reduction in our own personal footprints uh, overall. And you have wehouse.com and you make these we houses, but I want to make sure that I explain them in a way that the listener will be able to understand because I almost saw them more as, do you remember when there was like a chunk of Skyway that was floating around for years that someone finally bought it and turned it into a living structure? Yeah, those are friends of mine, you know, who, oh, really? who own those other, other uh, you know, dreamy architects, you know, okay. talented dreamy architects. Yeah, so 
when I look, what you're doing with the Wee House is you're taking sort of prefabbed structure materials, and then you can assemble them in different ways. So it's not necessarily like a tiny house per se, but it's a way to refashion a sustainable product to make like in the case, if you if you look at your website, there's one that's the jewel box that was your first. But there's also more like townhome kind of looking structures with garages underneath. They're just very versatile. Yeah. Well, you know, what we think of a tiny house is these days, you know, are typically something that sits on a trailer. And right. So you can kind of picture like, okay, I get it. You know, it's yeah. like small and I can go down the road. Right. So when we did the first initial wee house for Stephanie... It was a modern box. I mean, it was really a square, sort of a rectangular tube. And I call it a tube because it had the, the long walls had were all glass. Yeah. You could see right through really the thing. Cool. You could open it all up. Super simple, uh, inexpensive, but but really, really spacious. I mean, we had like three families in there, you know, on a one rainy day. You know yeah. what I mean? So many people saw that when it ended up being in uh, Met Holmes' holiday gift guide. Uh-huh. You know, we sent, we sent out, we got it done, and we, and we said great, we're going to get published and people are going to see the beautiful pictures and they're going to want us to do other design work for them. They put it in their holiday gift guide because we said it was 50000 bucks. So they said, oh, you can give it to your sweetie for Christmas or whatever. And at that point we said, oh, you know, maybe we ought to try to make a program to produce more of these in a way that, uh, that you know, really uh, short shortens the whole design period for people. Mm-hmm. So we really looked at the um, the process for building them in, in modular factories. So there's modular factories all around the country that do this exact kind of work. So it's similar to mobile homes. It's just that they make custom modular. And so being architects, we, you know, we kind of felt like we needed to fuss with every project because there's reasons to fuss with that, which we can go into later or not. But um, we really tried to pr- produce a, a flexible program in which you could make a 300-square-foot house, and you can make a 3,000-square-foot house basically made up of pre-made boxes that have their kitchens, their lighting, the windows, the insulation, the electrical, essentially everything you need to inhabit your house all finished as it comes out of the factory. And this is so cool to me because it also takes, like, your design abilities, and it makes it so that you could be working with someone in Washington, D.C., someone in Baltimore, you know, all over the country without necessarily having to be on site navigating the whole build out. Is that correct? I know. I mean, that's a lot for, you know, a couple of kids from uh, from uh, the really Twin cool. Cities. <laughs> <laughs> We're not supposed to be doing stuff like that. So how did the light hotel that you worked with um, at Alchemy come out of this wee house? So, you know, we've been working with the Wee House for a lot of different years. And I think the the really great thing is, is it's provided a platform to make smaller, more efficient, high-quality houses. But there's still really a pretty intense design process that goes with that. How many do you think you've made so far? Uh, we've made close to 50. Mm-hmm. You know, we designed more than that. And for one reason or another, they don't all get built. But they're all really tailored to their... Uh, you know, to their site and to our clients right? so that they can really be, I think, you know, works of architecture, I guess. And um, they're really, you know, they're more sustainable, they're more usable if you custom design them. So in the last three or four years, we've been thinking about um, uh, really ways that we can um, not leverage the tiny house movement as much as, as really simplify our wee house concept to do something then that is 
really something that we can literally almost sort of push a button to make. So there's really, you know, a lot fewer customizations you make. And um, with the rise in Minneapolis with the ADU code they have now for mm-hmm. allowing accessory dwellings in, in, you know, essentially your backyard. In your backyards, yeah, the grandmother apartments or whatever they're going to call yeah. them. We, we said, hey, you know, this was actually a practical opportunity then to, to tie what we've already been wanting to do within a need out in the marketplace. And I wouldn't really call it as much as like a business, you know, plan to take over the world or anything, but it's more of one that's, say, you know, kind of dovetails with our goals to just, you know, build smarter and, and more intelligently, I guess. So I, this light hotel, it is a really beautiful, functional little room with a bathroom, and it travels around and people can stay in it, and it's been in urban environments. I, it was in the Walker Sculpture Garden, I heard, apparently, for a little while. And I know it's been at the Stone Arch Festival and different festivals, and you can literally spend the night in this thing. Where is it right now? Yeah, I'm sorry for sort of diverging no, there. Okay. But but the, um, the the lighthouse was this ADU kind of thing. And the light hotel then is really uh, an art piece that we did to really explore what small mobile you know, something that essentially could fit in a 20-foot shipping container uh, could do. And so that's exactly what we did. So the thing you saw in our parking lot was a 20-foot shipping container yeah. on a trailer, you know, which happens all the time. But we, you know, you might have noticed it because it had like, you know, a couple funky windows and it had a little porch on the outside and it had a, you know, a light sticking out of the top of it yeah. and it had solar panels on the top. And so you tweak some of these things that you see every day, which is container trucks, and you make them so that there's something funky about them. And you also tie into that thing, people who are living in the Midwest seeing, say, grain elevators. I don't know who's ever seen a grain elevator who hasn't thought, oh, I'd like to live in a grain elevator. Right. Wouldn't it be cool to inhabit that? And so that's the same thing with this container thing. We wanted to make kind of an art piece that moves around that you could actually inhabit. And because it moves around, you could say, put it in Rice Park, or you could put it in the Walkshire Sculpture Garden, or you could put it out in the front of Harvard Broadcasting and, you know, uh, uh, know, live there for a day. And let's say you made it like a hotel room. You could experience the city in really a temporary way as sort of a permanent resident or a temporary resident in a different way and see the city in a different way than you do every day. It's kind of weird. I moved this year, and I moved... I've always been in the city, but I moved into a much more urban environment in that I'm very close to the sidewalk. In my old home, I was sort of set back and on a corner lot. So while I was still in the city, it felt very suburban just in the amount of space that we had. And, and wow, was that, you know, like really the city was right in my face. Cars, buildings, people moving on the sidewalk in a way that I hadn't even considered or thought about before. And it really does give you a different connection to your neighbors and to just the world around you because you're literally in it versus observing it somewhat from afar. So I thought that was um, kind of interesting just in terms of urban living and how that can, you can still be living in Highland Park, but the where of where you live really can make a difference and how you interact with the people around you. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. And and the densification of our cities Mm -hmm. really creates new opportunities for us to live and work together in a way that's really exciting rather than sort of threatening or, you know, 
perceptions have changed even in the last 10 or 15 years about what it means to live in the city and really what, what kind of things are going on. So you've been doing this for, you know, 25-some years, it sounds like. As we move into the new era of the millennials, and we spend an endless amount of time talking about the millennials, it seems like, I feel like they're going to be more comfortable in smaller spaces. I think these really small apartments, that your concept fits really right into that, having a smaller footprint. Um do you feel like that you're really well positioned for this trend, as it were? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's in, in, entirely, you know, we're, we're sort of targeting that market. But I think there's a lot of people who are seeing the same way. And, and, and you know, millennials experience or, or value experiences over things mm-hmm. a lot of times. And and I feel like if you're going to have things, I'm not someone who covets things necessarily, but we spend all of our time creating things and making things that then are going to really have meaning to us and have a long lasting value. And that, you know, by the way, we can actually afford and we want them, you know, to then uh, go out and change our life in some sort of meaningful way, I think, which is, I mean, who has the right to do that? You know, and you know, any architect is going to tell you that they'd rather um, spend a lot more time, uh, and energy on something that's really s- sort of smaller and thought out rather than palatial and grandiose. Yeah. And do you feel like there will be um expanded market for you if people are more used to living in smaller spaces? It, absolutely. I mean, I think that some of the things we're doing, we're, we've been taping, taking little baby steps in terms of trying to understand you know, pretty deeply what the ADU really needs and how we can produce it at the right kind of, I guess, value cost for people, so right. process-wise and cost-wise and what it has to have and maybe what it shouldn't have or, you know, or what's kind of optional. And there haven't been a lot of ADUs in the last couple of years since that ordinance in Minneapolis was passed because people are trying to figure that out. And right? what does that stand for? Uh, accessory dwelling unit. Okay, so it's something that's not your primary domicile. It's attached to your property in the back, on the side, in your, um, and it's something that can be a full, fully licensed living situation. Correct. Is yeah, my understanding. Yeah, and, and there can be plumbed and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs to be plumbed. It needs to be connected to electricity. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's there's certain uh, minimum sizes a lot of times of around. Three or four hundred square feet, and certain maximum sizes somewhere between uh, six hundred and eight hundred or a thousand square feet, depending on the particularities of your site. I wonder um, when we talk about families living together and maybe creating situation where instead of putting, you know, your mom or your grandma in an apartment, you know, she's in the backyard in a smaller type of living unit. You mentioned price. Is there a price point for 800 square feet that feels like it's doable for something like that and then where it's priced out of the market? Yeah. I mean, if you talk about 800 square feet, a lot of people are probably looking at their apartment, you know, their two-bedroom apartment going, well, I live in less than 800 square feet and it's just fine. Right. Right. And so, but when you move that into a house size, you know, that's say a small bungalow or something. Um, You know, we actually own a house in Prospect Park not far from where we are right now, that was uh, about 600 square feet or something. And it was an awesome little house. Yeah. It was super great. And so really, I don't think of that as really 
you know, roughing it too much. Right. And I think that there's a, a really good conversation to be had amongst, you know, houses about that size, then down to the tiny house movement, which is, say, 100, 150 square feet, yeah. which is, like, really, really tiny. And the really there's, you know, the, the kind of things that people are trying to achieve with their high, tiny houses are um, a little bit different than what we're trying to do in terms of making permanent, permanent sort yeah. of fabric in the city. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are not going to move around. These are going to be really little jewels, hopefully little jewels, you know, as a sort of part, part of our city in a different way than say a trailer or, or something. What you're doing really appeals to me in that way, because I think, I, I don't know. I just like, I don't know. I feel like I moved, I kind of shed a lot of the 25 years of stuff and I feel like I almost could do it again in a smaller way. Like once you get rid of a lot of stuff, it's very freeing. And, you know, a lot of people have cabins or land, but they don't have the money to sort of build that dream home. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be that. Maybe it can just be something that's smaller, still lovely. You know, the box that that jewel box, I think is what you called it, is very lovely. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. I love it. Um, are you busy? We we are busy. Yeah. You know, I think that things have changed a lot. You know, when we first started the We House, it was right in 2001, 2002, and uh, the economy was going great guns, just like it is right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, we and other people were looking for other ways of getting stuff built, right? And so we just looked at it from a practical, like, well, what are our tools? You know, what should we do? Um, and that we we're in that situation right now, too. But another thing that's changed is that the recession really wasn't all that bad in relation to what it did with the conversations we've had about commodities and stuff mm -hmm. and energy usage. And so you've seen a lot of things come out of the recession, um, sort of as like a phoenix from the ashes about, you know, what we can do to power houses with very little energy. Mm -hmm. You know, all the products that are out there that people have been able to, say, quit their jobs. Well, they didn't quit. They were fired. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or they didn't have any clients or customers. And so they basically went off and said, great, I'm going to do this cool thing over here. And now what we see is all these things are just more ubiquitous and, and lower cost and higher quality. And it allows us to do some really exciting, you know, high quality structures. So um, tell me about the project that you're working on right now. Like, can you think of one that you're just like so excited to see it be built? Uh in town here? Not necessarily. Well, in town here, we're uh, helping somebody put a uh, essentially like a guest house office on top of a 22nd story of a building downtown right off of Rice Park. Cool. So they're putting a box on top of this high rise. Yeah. And, you know, just the pragmatics of getting it up there, uh, it has to be really lightweight. It has to be small and, um, you know... There's a lot of reasons why it doesn't have to be cheap, right? But and it wants to be really high quality, and it's got a view like unlike any other. But just the small space. I mean, when you think about the spaces that are really striking to you, a lot of times they're not necessarily big spaces, right? I mean, they can be just a cubby somewhere. So that's cool. Is it like 
I don't know if you can say it's like a hotel or someone that is someone doing it for promotion or do they No, this is this is this a is person a, that's uh, going to live and have it as their guest house. Yeah, it's part of essentially their house up oh, there. Oh, that is so amazing. And then on the other scale we're also working with um another uh, uh building developer uh in Uptown area. Yeah. And so he's got a three-story warehouse building that he's, you know, fully inhabited with with other um you know, his office is there, and there's other creative businesses have, have moved in there. He's done a great job fixing up the building. And he wants to put uh, two stories of residential lofts upstairs there. And so we're going to do we, we houses, lofts up on the building. And really the cool part about it is he wants to inhabit it himself. And, you know, it's only going to be uh, it's going to be less than 10,000 square feet all together, but there's going to be about seven or eight units up there. And oh, that's so cool. The whole kind of way yeah. of really doing something that, I mean, it's not like I don't like, I love Uptown. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff in Uptown is, it looks the same. Yeah. So how can you bring sort of a different process and really do something that which has integrity and kind of pulls out the... um this kind of off-site manufactured with this kind of industrial history and make something that, that is aspirational sort of sitting on top of the building. And so I think we're going to be, well, I know we're going to be doing this as, as something that's kind of, um, it's going to be hard to tell whether this is necessarily new or, or maybe has been there for, you know, 50 or a hundred years. That is so cool. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. I hope someone in Minneapolis, St. Paul or someone does a story so we can see it and see the inside <laughs> of it. Um, in terms of you're a creative person, you're also a business person, what's the day-to-day like part of running your business that you hate? <laughs> you know, I like to sit down and design buildings. Um, every once in a while, I'll go out and talk about buildings. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I really like to sit there and do the work. Um, I don't mind doing uh, some of the unpleasant things about, you know, detailing them and pricing them yeah. but but that whole bookkeepy kind of paperworky thing is is not my deal i'd yeah. rather be out there with a hammer and saw and making it happen on my so own So you need a good operations person it sounds like well we've got a really great mix of people in the office and yep. so luckily I, I definitely don't have to do it alone and that's great as an entrepreneur where you get to the point where you know the things you're good at and you can hire out for the things that you're not and build a team yeah. That's yeah. when it really, really works. Um, we talked about the Light Hotel. Where is it for the summer? Uh, you know, it is at the St. Anthony Park Community Gardens over near um, our office. Okay. And um, we just, uh, I just, before coming over here, talked to uh, uh, the Prospect Park neighborhood about getting in into the Towerside Park. And we're really hoping that that will be over there in the next month. Yeah, which is great. It's right next to the light rail station. It's got a view of downtown, um, and it's in a community garden. Which is very cool. Super cool, yeah. Very accessible and really about their mission as well as ours. All right. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me today about the Wee House movement. Someday, I swear I'll hire you. I don't know for what yet. I have to find some land that's in a very weird spot because land is so hard to find. Um, it's wehouse.com. You can also find... Uh, lighthotel.com if you're interested in finding out about the Light Hotel. And then, of course, the name of the business is Alchemy, Alchemy Architects. You have a great website that shows a lot of your projects, so I would encourage people to go there and check it out. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.